0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off.
1: I'm Dan Roth, editor-in-chief at LinkedIn, and welcome to This Is Working, a show where we sit down with the leaders who have an outsized impact on how we work, what we buy, and in this case, where we sleep. And today, we have Arnie Sorensen on the show. He's the CEO of Marriott, the world's largest hotel company. Arnie's hotel empire makes up for roughly 7% of all hotel rooms in the world. And if you're like me and travel a lot, you probably know the layout of some hotels better than you do your own home. As always on the show, I've got my producer, Laura, here with me.
0: Hey, Dan. Tell me why you wanted Arnie Sorensen on the show. He came to the studio just a couple of weeks ago, right?
1: I wanted Arnie to come to LinkedIn because he's a big sharer. There are some CEOs who are pretty reserved, and I get it. If I were a CEO, I probably would be also. You run the risk of making your shareholders angry, of pissing off your employees, of driving the government crazy. Why not just stay quiet? Arnie takes the opposite approach. He takes on big topics. He wrote a open letter to President Trump after the election. He's been super vocal about harassment towards housekeepers. He really takes on topics that he thinks are important to him and to Marriott.
0: And you asked him about these topics in the interview. He said it is just as risky to not speak up at all, right?
1: Yeah, he he is has a very strong point of view that if you are not speaking up, you are actually not protecting your employees. You're not speaking for shareholders. And he's not just talking about professional matters. He's okay talking about personal ones, too. In May, he wrote an article revealing that he had pancreatic cancer. Now, pancreatic cancer is a particularly pernicious form of cancer. The survival rate for pancreatic cancer, the five-year survival rate, is just 9%. So he's dealing with a lot, even as he's running this massive hotel company. And you'll hear in the interview how he's doing it. Okay, without further ado, here's the interview with Arne Sorenson. Arnie Sorensen. Arne, thank you so much for joining us here today. Good to be here. Uh, you are the CEO of the world's largest hotel company. For your seven years as CEO, you've always led a very large company, but it got much larger after the purchase of Starwood in 2016. Right. I'd love to understand how your management has changed when you are suddenly leading a company where you have twice as many employees as you had, where revenues overnight are about 40% higher than they were, Um, I think you had about double the amount of of brands that you had before Starwood. As a CEO, does that change how you manage? What's the difference in, when you have that kind of scale?
2: Well, I'm, I'm sure it does, mm-hmm. although we were big before. Right. Uh, and and I think about one of the things that we did quickly when I became CEO was really distribute authority broadly from headquarters into what we describe as the continents. So before before that, if you go back 10 years ago or so, we would have many more decisions coming to our headquarters in Bethesda, Maryland or Washington DC than we did even before the Starwood deal. Uh, Because uh, I realized and the team realized we couldn't make the number of decisions we were making in headquarters and be fast or be good enough. Mm. And we really needed to to, uh, essentially put accountability and resources in the field so that they could make the decisions. They'd make them faster, they'd make them better. Uh, They'd have more fun. Uh, we create better talent for the company as a whole long-term. So all of those uh, uh, organizational changes were made in 2012, well before Starwood surfaces. Starwood, of course, uh, amplifies that in a way, making us that much bigger. But because we'd done that work first, there wasn't a lot of reorganization of either the structure of the leadership of the company or really the tools that we use to manage it.
1: It didn't change your day-to-day?
2: Well, it did in the sense that uh, to bring this new company in, uh, to merge them together, I was on the road much more uh, to see the Starwood Hotels, to welcome the Starwood Associates into the company, to see owners of Starwood Hotels that we, ma- we manage, obviously, for, for real estate owners that, that own most of our hotels. Right. And so there was a big welcome effort, and that's a, that's a multi-year effort, and I wanted to be very much engaged in that personally.
1: Anything that you learned along the way where you expected certain things to happen with the merging of talent, and merging of properties that you expect to go one way and you've learned are have, have gone an entirely different we way. Well,
2: they're, they're obviously unanticipated things. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. By and large, they were fairly few. I think one of the things that we did deliberately, it wasn't a surprise, but I think was right, was to kind of minimize the cultural differences. I mean, often people will say, well, because Marriott had a certain series of documents or committees that had to approve certain decisions and Starwood had a different set of documents or committees that approved certain decisions, that's a cultural difference. That's not a cultural difference. Mm. That's a difference in the tools of management or the the way the bureaucracy is operated. And so we we sort of head head out saying, okay, let's find the common attributes of culture uh, which is about hospitality. Uh, it's about taking care of people. it's about winning and let's build on those in order to to make this merging of two former rivals, uh, very strong rivals into a, a single platform. And I think that worked I think that worked pretty well uh, and and wasn't a surprise in lots of respects. there the the surprise I suppose that was the biggest is, we knew intellectually when we started, that this was a three to five year project to bring these companies together. The first year and a half went so well that we almost forgot that and thinking, man, this is going easy, You know, this will be fine. And of course, then we started merging systems and doing other things and reminded that, yeah, it really is a lot of work.
1: Right, but on the people side, it really wasn't that big of a deal to take someone, to take two, Groups that were rivals, people who were trained to say we are gonna beat Marriott and Marriott people who say we're gonna beat Starwood and suddenly you guys are one happy family now? Well, I, I want to be careful
2: because obviously for any individual, depending on how they land in this new new merged organization, it it would be wrong to say it's not a big deal, right? right? Because their job may have been impacted. Uh, we had two of everything. We didn't end up with two of everything afterwards. A lot of people found opportunities with jobs that were a, a bit different. Yeah. And obviously, the more you got into the most senior ranks of the company, you didn't n- need two CEOs or two general counsels of the company as a whole. So. So, so there were Im- impacts there, but I think uh, you know we did reach out quickly. The day we announced the deal in the fall of '15, on a Monday morning before the markets open, Bill Marriott and I were on a stage at Starwood's headquarters in Stamford at noon uh, to basically welcome the corporate leadership of Starwood into this new company. And it was a, it was for them a surreal day <laughs> because until that morning we were the uh, arch competitor, right? And there was no rumor that we were gonna be the buyer. Right. So here suddenly the brass of Marriott shows up. But we did a lot of very deliberate things to say you know, welcome and we want you to be part of the like team. Like what, what are some examples? Be with them often, mm. uh, say it, listen to them, uh, try and understand what's, uh, their, what their strategy has been in the past, what the rub points were in the past. Uh, understand the the sort of challenges that had had preceded the prior prior couple of years, right, because it's a company that had come for sale, Uh, and uh, just find a way to reach out and say, we're gonna spend enough time with you to uh, know that we, for you to know that we care about you.
1: I've heard you say in the past that Bill Marriott, when you approached him about doing this merger, said the first reaction was, this isn't something you have to do. And he was concerned about what impact it would have on you Arne Sorensen versus on the company. Were you surprised by that reaction? Yeah, it was a,
2: it was a sort of very gratifying first <laughs> uh, first response um, and a personal one. Obviously, we're very close. Yeah. Uh, I've worked, I mean, I, even before I got to Marriott in the early 90s was a lawyer and represented Marriott. So I have been regularly engaged with him for nearly 30 years. I mean, not not quite. Uh, and uh, that, that personal regard uh, is uh, important to him and important to me. It was a little surprising. I didn't. I didn't necessarily anticipate that that would be his first reaction. But by the end of that uh, week, and it all sort of came together very, very quickly. I actually didn't know how he would respond to the substance of the deal mm-hmm. either. Uh, but we sat down,
1: and the competitive side of him came out quickly, and he said, "This is a compelling deal. We've got to do it." So you now have thirty brands. Is that right? Yep. Is that the right number for you to have? Is it too many? Do you want to have many more? How do you think about that?
2: Well, we're asked frequently about, is 30 brands too much uh, from the moment we announced this transaction? Actually, even before, Marriott had 20 or nearly 20. So it was was still sort of a germane question. In a way, we have one umbrella brand that sits above above all of those, though, and that's Marriott Bonvoy. That's the loyalty program. And in every one of the 30 brands that are underneath that, uh, they have the ability to earn points and to redeem for free stays with those points. Uh, They're all on the Marriott.com website. They're all connected through this loyalty platform. And so the philosophy is we want to deliver breadth of choice. Uh, to our consumer. We want to deliver value through the loyalty program for being our customer as opposed to somebody else's customer. And having a breadth of choice in terms of price point, geography, sensibility of the brand. Is it lifestyle? Is it uh, for you know working travelers who are most concerned about the desk? We want to have that kind of range that allows you to say, actually, you don't have to go anyplace else. I can go to Marriott.com and know that no matter where I'm going, I can find what I want. And so
1: 30 is the right number to be able to get that kind of a range. We're more likely to have
2: more than uh-huh. less uh, because, again, the breadth of choice is an advantage here.
1: Recently, you were sued in DC over resort fees. Right. Resort fees have come up consistently over the last couple of years as being right. a source of frustration among travelers. Yeah. What's your take on both the suit and on the need or lack of need for these? Yeah,
2: this, this is a tough one. Of course, you've got resort fees in the hotel industry. you got baggage fees in the airline exactly. space. Uh, not, none of us as consumers necessarily love it. Uh, what we've tried to do is to be very clear about our disclosure. It's one of the frustrating things about this lawsuit is mm-hmm. from the moment this started. And the first resort fees were probably a decade ago, maybe a little bit longer that, than that. And they were. Uh, a way of, yes, of course, they were financially driven in some respects, but they're also a way of saying, okay, well, let's full, fold in the uh, waterfront um, paddleboard rental or, or the bike rental or other things that can be part of this package. And basically, our, our approach was to say, we need to disclose it fairly. We need to deliver value to the customers so that they are saying, well, I may not love painted in the abstract, but I see I get lots of things mm-hmm. that I can take advantage of because of this resort fee. Uh, and uh, then, of course, we listen to our customers uh, and hear what they've got to say. Uh, we've been going through this for a number of years. We've been talking to the at- attorney generals of many states for a number of years. Uh, D.C. withdrew sort of at the last minute and decided to make a bigger uh, test case out of it. We'll obviously fight it. We think it's wrong. It's well disclosed. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll go through it.
1: And so you think that from a that this is disclosed enough for travelers that people understand what they're getting and that the there's a clear understanding of the benefit of these fees when you're when you're traveling yeah I, for most customers,
2: yeah. um, that we we obviously pay very cl- uh, very close attention to what we what we're hearing back, either as complaints or or other feedback we're mm-hmm. getting from our c- customers, but our approach generally for each hotel is we we ought to have a package of things that are included in that resort or destination. It can't fee. just be a fee. That is right. a multiple of the cost of the fee. Got it. Uh, and in many hotels, that may now include a food and beverage credit, which mm-hmm. is. Often equal to, sometimes a little bit more than the fee itself. Mm-hmm. Now, so so I think a lot of folks look at that and say, philosophically, yeah, I can understand it. Um, sure. I'm, I might not have asked Marriott to to charge me that, but I actually can understand why it's happening. So I just want to make sure I'm
1: reading it right. These fees are not going away. Is that well, I don't think I, I don't think
2: they're going away. Yeah. I think they. I think we do want to make sure we're continuing to deliver value for them. Uh, and you can only do that in some markets and some hotels. So I don't I don't anticipate we'll end up with these fees in every hotel. For example, in a suburban market where there's uh, you know no extra features that really are going to be germane to that that guest. Got it.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply. Isn't enough. So, more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of.
1: You have been named one of Barron's top CEOs in the world for two years in a row. Um, one of the, and besides just the outsized performance in, in, in your stock, you have also been really outspoken as a CEO, and in fact, maybe those two things don't always go together. Yeah. What has led you to decide that you want to, that your voice on a range of issues matters and that you have to speak out?
2: So the this is a really fascinating part of, of uh, business leadership today, but I think we could say it's a part of all leadership today. And you know, in, in a, a decade ago or two decades ago, maybe uh, the policy issues in society, which have become more and more divisive, uh, were I think easier for non-politicians to stay away from. We live in an era today where our communities of uh, people, whatever whatever context that those words apply to. Uh, expect us to be engaged uh, in some manner uh, for them when it's germane to our community. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a group of 750,000 people who wear our name badge every day. Uh, They are very much our people. Uh, They are as diverse as any community imaginable uh, from all around the world, all lifestyles, all kinds of identities. Uh, And of course, you know, you look at LGBT uh, issues, it's one of the areas we've spoken out uh, about because our community cares about it, because we're welcoming people to our hotels that are as diverse as our associate ranks are, uh, and it seemed like the right thing to do. So in virtually every instance where we're where I'm speaking out about policy issues, if you will, social issues, uh, are because our community cares about it, uh, and they, they value our having a voice in it.
1: The old way of thinking would have said, we have 750,000 people who wear a name badge. There's no way I can avoid Making some part of this group angry if I speak out, better just not to speak at all. What changed?
2: Well, I think there's a risk of not speaking too, which is probably more significant. Um, and I think expressed right, uh, which we of course can't always do, we'll, we'll make mistakes inevitably. Maybe they're driven by my own biases, or maybe we just won't get it right in a certain circumstance. But expressed thoughtfully, uh, most people will understand uh, the position that that is taken. Uh, if it's superfluous to our business, that, that's where you start to run a risk. Right. Uh, and so, use an example, uh, choice issues. Well, I have personal views about that, but it's not particularly germane to our business or our community of associates as Associates of Marriott. And so that's a place that I I, I and we have stayed away from. Hmm. I think if we came out and said, here's our view about uh, women's choice issues, we'd have some people that respected us because it agreed with their position. But we'd have a number of folks who said, why should we care what Marriott or Marriott's CEO has to say about something which is really not germane to their business?
1: So do you then, is there a process that you go before Bill Marriott or before the board and you say, here are the issues. That I, Arnie Sorensen, I'm gonna take on this year and yeah. going to speak out with my own voice, or is it does it kind of happen on the fly and you say this is something important to the community, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to write something
2: about it. Yeah, it's probably between those okay. two. It's not. It's not formalized. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't really relish going to the board to have uh, LinkedIn piece, for example, uh, edited by them. <laughs> right. um, and uh, I don't think the board necessarily expects that from me. I, I, I think they've got. Um, obviously, if they saw it going ill, I think it would be something that we'd end up talking about. Uh, but as long as it's constructively put forward and. Uh, enhances the strength of our community, which of course impacts the, the, the strength of our work uh, positively. I think that's a good thing uh, and you know we watch it as we go along. It's not done impulsively, so mm-hmm. that's why I say maybe not on the fly, but it is done in a way which is live. Uh, so, you know, so we're, we're saying, okay, what are the issues today uh, that, that people are talking to us about? When do we need to say something about them?
1: And do you have peers who come to you and say, I, you know, admire what you're doing. How can I do that? Or ask you for advice on how to speak up? I, I don't think it's easy. What you're doing is not. If it was easy, everyone would be doing yeah. it, and they're they're not. Yeah. Do people come to you to ask what's the what's the roadmap for yeah, speaking up? I, I mean, out? in in,
2: uh, in settings of CEOs, it comes up occasionally. Yeah. Um, and and it, we're all different. You know, the, the the fact of the matter is, you can. You can be a successful corporate leader with lots of different personalities and lots of different styles of leadership. Uh, and I think the danger would be for any of us to say, OK, I want to I see what Joe is doing over there or Jane is doing over there, and, and copy them, even though that may not be consistent with who they are. Uh, and so it gets, it gets talked about every now and then, okay. but not necessarily in exactly the way you described it.
1: In March, you disclosed that you have pancreatic cancer. Right. How, how are you doing?
2: Uh, so far, so good. Okay. Uh, it, it's, a, um, it's a particularly tough cancer, of yeah. course. Uh, thankfully, it was discovered early, uh, which means that we've got some reason to hope that we'll be able to achieve a complete cure. The doctors first said, we're going for the cure. And I mm-hmm. said, well, what does that mean? Does that mean five years? Or, or? And I said, no, the, the complete cure means you die from something else. Uh, the <laughs> protocols established chemo, radiation, and then surgery. Uh, We're uh, almost three quarters of the way done with uh, chemo. Uh, Side effects have been very manageable. I'm working every day uh, and uh, I'm doing a little less travel, so there's been some impact to what I'm doing. Uh, but uh, I feel like the battle's going well so far.
1: It's had no impact. It's had very little impact on you as the CEO of the world's largest hotel company. You're managing with pancreatic cancer.
2: The uh, I mean, again, the travel is uh, a meaningful change. Right. In fact, Bill Marriott, when uh, we got the stage two diagnosis, he said, finally, you're going to start traveling less. <laughs> I've been trying to tell you to travel less for years uh, because he sees me running all over right. the world. And uh, in a way, we can... Because I've been visible all around the world, I can step away from the physical travel for at least a few months. And that's a godsend. I mean that saves a, that saves a lot of time. Yeah. but it but it also leaves a lot of time then to say, okay, I can be in the office, I can be engaged in uh, talking through the things that we're doing, whether it be current results or or priorities for next year. Uh, and I'd just as soon be engaged as opposed to be... Uh, sort of consumed by this, right. uh, which has its own set of risks and dangers.
1: Getting a diagnosis like this does it change at all how you think about either managing yourself or the company or what your goals are for life? Does it have that kind of impact?
2: Well, I think it. it that's a question I've. Uh, my kids have asked me this too. I've got four adult children, and and uh, you know they they have at times expressed anger. I uh, said, so I can't. It's not fair. Why has this happened to you? Uh, they've asked a little bit about, you know, what does it mean for the sort of the future, and they've undoubtedly thought more than they've asked me even. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what I think is it's probably a year from now before a, a, a real answer to that question can be put. I mean, at the moment, it is feels a little surreal. Um, you know, I had no health issues beforehand, and suddenly I'm wrestling with a fairly significant one. Right. Uh, and and. Uh, you know, working, but also battling the disease. And that's a a day-to-day thing that we've got to make sure that we get through. Uh, You know, God willing, we'll get through it. And a year from now, we'll be able to look back and say, okay, now, what are we learning from this? Um, I'm hopeful that uh, the conclusions, not that there there will be none, uh, but that they will include uh, an ability to keep doing the work I love. Um, I, I love the hospitality industry. I love Marriott. Uh, I get great joy out of the work I do, and I'd love to do it for a long time.
1: Well, we're all hoping for that. Thank you. One one of the interesting investments I think Marriott has made is in diversifying your talent base and, and, um, and the sources of uh, business, the, the companies that you do business with. You spend a lot of money and time on getting veterans uh, from the armed forces into the hospitality industry. You also made a half a billion dollar commitment towards women-owned businesses as suppliers. Yeah. What drives this kind of um, uh, search for new talent or new sources of business?
2: There, there are many things mm-hmm. that do. Um, in addition to the, the two you mentioned, I think we'll do a billion dollars or nearly a billion dollars this year in diverse uh, supplier uh, business. So you got all three of those things sort of working their way down. One of the things that's been in Marriott's DNA for decades is this idea of opportunity for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the first board meetings I started to go to at the company were in 1992, uh, tough time for the company. It had too much debt. The uh, company ultimately split between Marriott International and, and what became Host Marriott now Host Hotels. And even in those board meetings, you could hear Bill Marriott and other board members really bragging about the way individual associates had started at line level jobs and become senior executives of the company. Mm-hmm. A very different kind of narrative than, you know, so-and-so went to Wharton or went to HBS or went to whatever school of, of prestige and stature. And there's nothing wrong with those schools. They're great schools. and Many people have come from them. But the, the, the DNA was really about everybody deserves an opportunity to succeed in their work Uh, based on talent, of course, based on effort. Uh, And it's the same thing with our partners. Uh, And the more we can work with folks who are struggling to build businesses, who are working like dogs often to deliver high-quality goods, and say, we want to help be part of your success, uh, that fits very much with our DNA uh, and of course creates great partners and great great relationships We hope they'll stay with us when they travel all sorts of good things that come from it But it's kind of who we are.
1: I'd love to wrap up here with some career advice your career You're, you're not a hotelier by by training. You're a right. lawyer What kind of advice do you give people who are saying look? I want to be Either I want to become a you know, senior executive at the company, or I want to just see my career yeah. keep growing. Do you tell them to come in and specialize? you tell them to go do other things, get degrees elsewhere, and come yeah. in? How do you steer people? So
2: uh, often it depends on the, on the precise context of that question. But, but there are a few things which are uh, sort of regular bits of advice. One is just say yes. Um, and, really? and maybe this is particularly the case for folks uh, who have a bit less confidence? and Sometimes we talk about this in the context of gender, uh, the, where the the uh, a, a man will be given an opportunity and sort of say, "I deserve this," and I'm going for it, and a woman will be given the same opportunity and think, "Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it." But if somebody is delivering that opportunity for you, you may not feel like you're ready for it, but they feel like you're ready for mm-hmm. it. Say yes, take it. Uh, they're, they're almost always gonna be looking out for you and themselves because they think you will d- be doing well in that job. So say yes is a big piece of it. Uh, listen is uh, hugely important in two different respects. Uh, by listening to your team, by listening to external influences, by keeping your ears open, you're gonna be better. You're gonna get input that you need to have to compete in a quickly changing world. And the risk always is that you get to a certain level of leadership and you think you know so much that you kinda shut down on taking that input. But listening also builds a team. Uh, Because if you're not listening to them, that team is going to wonder whether they've got real input into what's going on. And if, by comparison, you're listening to them, they're going to feel like they've got input. You're going to make better decisions because of it. You're going to be better aligned. And I think the third is, uh, I would say, the power of communications, the power of language. Uh, both both written and oral, uh, but, but obviously the bigger the organization, the, the more important this is. You don't have to be an extrovert to be successful at it, but, but I think you do need to understand how do you communicate, how do you, how do you explain yourself, how do you explain the priorities of the company or your department, uh, how do you get the voice in a way that both causes people to understand, but maybe also inspires a little bit, uh, and that has to be authentic, of course, in the way it's done, but communications is a big deal.
1: Great. Well, Arnie, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Bet. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks. Great talking to you. All right. That was Arnie Sorensen, CEO of Marriott. If you liked what you heard, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. On LinkedIn, you can talk about what you liked about the show using the hashtag, thisisworking, and follow me there at lnkd.in slash danroth. I'm Dan Roth. Thanks for listening.
0: This is Working is produced by me, Laura Sim, with Mixing by Joe DeGiorgi. Dave Pond is our technical director. Florencia Iriondo is head of original video and audio. See you next week.